Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 25th of May 2022. Well, in response to our podcast of last week, there's been a number of people expressing their surprise at our niceness. We, all I would say to that is, uh, you have to have empathy with everybody that you meet because you then, if you go to where they are, then you understand the dynamic of how they work. So as a business, I'd like to think that we have as much understanding of the farmer's position as anybody's. That means that we know or we can feel or see your pain on the things that you think are unfair. And equally, we can see some of your weaker points. But the whole dynamic of being able to converse with you or deal with you in an understanding manner means that we've actually gone to that place and tried understand your position so you shouldn't be shocked because if we didn't have those skills we wouldn't be as successful as we are in this industry anyway aside from that i've had another interesting email from a disgruntled i won't say his name a disgruntled pool member not from the doing grain camp i will add saying would i like to comment on pools that reminds me of a goal i scored in an important football match once where bluntly we were supposed to lose the score was sort of 2-2 and I was running towards the goalkeeper in the centre half and a through ball and the goalkeeper in the centre half ran into each other and laid on the floor and I just kept running and had the six yard box the goal and me and uh, the easy tap in and uh, which I wellied into the goal I didn't manage to miss it and the point being that yes I would love to talk about pools because it is the most fantastic open goal of all for me to dissect And it led me to think of something which is a little bit dangerous for us, but there you go. Some of you guys aren't going to love this in the trade. Could I ask farmers to forward the pool prices, the net pool prices they receive for feed wheat for Octec and Jan March, in the vain hope that I need to have some sort of proof that it's real as well, because someone could make up a stupid figure. So I need to have, you know, you you can skip your name out, you can, I don't know, I don't know how you do it. It needs to be anonymous to a degree, or you can give us all the details either way. I will be growing up about how I report it, but in the end, a league table of just how hideous some people have performed might just cause a little conscience to say, ooh, maybe we aren't doing a very good job, or maybe we're taking too much commission, or maybe we need to look at our process in this And more importantly, it might just give them a bit of a determination to up their April, May, June price, which isn't finished yet. They might go, ooh, if there's going to be a league table that's actually quoted. So dangerously and unpopularly, if anyone fancies it, Octec, Jan, March, and well, we won't know the April, June ones as yet, but let's look at it. I'll make a grown-up decision about what I'll do with that, whether I do quote it or not, and I won't report anyone's name. It'll be very, very clearly anonymously quoted, but I need to have some sort of verification process to prove the figures are correct. And then, hey, why not? Bit of a thing for an independent little oik to do, isn't it? We'll look forward to that one, shall we? Then I might bottle it and never report it again. 
So let's talk about the market. The market this week has been a big macro sell-off in stocks, and I think that's influencing commodity prices. So prices have come down at last, started the week going up, obviously, as usual, with the Indian export thing, and then they announced it wasn't really an export thing, and the market then came down quite quickly. So Monday up, Tuesday down. Wednesday down, Thursday down, and I think Friday, at time of reporting, we aren't open yet, so I am expecting the market to drop lower. There's IGC came out with smaller wheat and corn crops, which were already anticipated, but they've also written consumption down by 4 million tonnes. So demand destruction is occurring, and that inevitably is going to get greater as pig producers and egg producers and so on are simply making massive losses at the moment. So the herd will drop, the usage will drop, and it will start to have an impact. Anyway, the biggest issue this week for farmers is old crop wheat is all over, as far as I'm concerned. The futures come off the board on Monday. The position is traded out. There's no artificial squeeze or anyone trying to play clever dickies on the market. So it now boils down to, is there any wheat left and how much is there to be used? I am certain there is enough there. I am certain there's enough out on farms still to be sold. So my very strong message to farmers is sell your surplus now. Fix a price the best price you can make is for July. There's a big premium for July. Your only problem with that is, obviously, harvest is early. And that's another reason why the wheat market is definitely on its knees and will go down. With new crop prices earlier in the week showing a premium to old crop prices, it became like, oh, well, I don't need to sell it. I'll sell it in November. And to a degree, if the November price is sort of £320 a tonne, what have you lost if you don't sell it? other than you might not squeeze everything in or you really want to get it out and clean the shed out, etc., etc. Cash flow also. But with the new crop market getting a pounding, it isn't quite such an attractive prospect. So I think that new crop prospects, we'll come on to those in a moment, are bearish in their own right in the short term anyway. But most importantly, old crop wheat, there is enough of it. There definitely is enough of it, in my opinion. Old crop feed barley, in six weeks' time, there will be some barley cut somewhere. The, you know, it's well on, and the wheat crop is also in here, and we will see July cut wheat. So that's my message. New crop, there's a correction going on, as I said. I think it needs it. I think, you know, whatever the influence is that's making that happen at the moment. To me, I think in the next week or two, if you've got a delayed corn crop in the States that hasn't been planted, so therefore it's, you know, it's disaster the plantings are behind they planted something like 25 percent of the crop in a week and i'm sure they're cracking on with it this week to the same extent so in two weeks time they're pretty well going to be there with their planting in most important states and more importantly you're going to put corn into a wet soil with warm temperatures and that crop is a very dynamic growing plant you know so it will look fantastic especially in the early weeks when there's plenty of moisture there so the reaction to that will be crop reports reporting excellent conditions plants steaming through the growth stages looking in very very good condition and that sentiment wise will make some people sell it so i think that's going to be an underlying influence in markets with a kind of sentiment change on how the crop is developing in the states I fully appreciate there's plenty of troubles around the rest of the world and you can't go through every single weather market. But I'm trying to talk about the ones that I think will influence the market in the next few days. So I do see new crop prices coming down towards £300 a tonne on the NOV futures. It's been as high as nearly 360 it got to. So it's a very dramatic drop if it goes as low as 300 I think it might get sort of 310 315 Last night's close was 330 it doesn't really matter that much as long as it's over 300 pounds a ton sort of attitude is where i'm at with it all of us must remember that anyone who's not sold everything on new crop 
is making a judgment call on what Vladimir Putin is actually doing or what he's going to do. If there was a peace announcement, £50 would come off this market just like that. So let's all be conscious of that. We are all individually making a judgment that the Ukraine war will continue slogging along for a long period of time. And we're making an assumption that there's going to be more difficulties and certainly targeting of crops not being able to be exported for the Ukraine. He's there to crush the Ukraine. So underlyingly, subconsciously, all of you who are not selling are saying that that war is going to continue for at least another six months plus. And just take ownership of that is my point. I personally think that's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to sit there and he's going to keep grinding away and he's going to make life very difficult. He's lost a bit of face. He's going to try and crush Zelensky and his country. So, yeah, that's underlyingly my view. So I think that market will stay firm. But, you know, what do I know? I've not got, you know, bugs in the Kremlin telling me what's going on or what they're having a conversation about. So there you go. Moving on to prices, let's do that. We have old crop wheat is currently, I would value it for June at 3.15. I think it's coming down. Feed barley, 2.95. That's all over. Harvest will be with us shortly. Malting barley, 3.20. X farm plus, depending on what you've got. At some point, everybody realises which is the good homes and which is the bad ones. And certainly delivering to people that just reject stuff blindly time and time again gets a bit tiresome. Moving on, let's go new crop. Harvest Feed wheat on the close of the futures last night would be 310 delivered store. X farm November 320. Yes, the market has been best part of £25 higher than that, which is two days ago. <laughs> Hell of a long time in trading nowadays. Feed barley, 290 delivered store harvest, 295x for November. Sub 300, you'll note. There doesn't seem much demand for for feed barley export, which I don't know where feed barley is going to go other than export if there is a big surplus of it. So we shall see what that one develops. If it's sub 300, I'm not selling it. Sort of comment is pretty useless in my view. Have a look at when you need the cash flow. How big is that crop? Which is the best thing to store? All of those decisions you should have considered already. But feed barley has always been the bridesmaid when it comes to people's consideration of doing a forward trade. Malting barley prices for new crop are still very firm. I think there's a reluctance to commit to quality. Biggest influence on new crop at the moment is the rain. We're having rain this morning. I'm told it's not arrived in Aylsham yet. But we've had some rain, not enough rain. But we've had some rain this week. Crops are like perking up. Everything looks a lot better just because it's had a bit of a shower. If the rain comes through today and Monday, Tuesday, as promised, this is a big moment. This is a very useful moment for this crop and the yield of it. So things are looking infinitely better than they were a week ago on the weather forecast. And that obviously is an underlying consideration on the selling side of things. But malting barley, you can't really, really commit yourself to the quality spec of it. Some of those winter barleys have gone too far down the line, not convinced the nitrogen levels or necessarily the screening is going to be that good on some of those really light land patches. I hope I'm wrong on that because I could really do with a very excellent malting barley quality year. Yeah, I think that's enough for this week. I think it's very volatile times. It's quite refreshing to see the market come off a little bit because otherwise it completely undermines the point of having an opinion. You just say, just don't sell it, it's going up. And it isn't like that. And let's not forget, all of us, soberly, let's not forget that there is a war premium in there and there's a weather premium in there. And both of those could have dramatic consequences to the downside if they came right. Equally, if the weather turns really bad in some of these areas and and bearing in mind Europe has had a pretty bad drought up to this point they are getting some rain this week will they get enough if it turns wrong again or if the corn crop that's been planted late 
develops to the point where it silks in the middle of July, which is later than it should be, and it's really, really hot at that point, that that could have a devastating effect on yield on the corn crop and the whole thing will kick off again. So it's a proper, could go anywhere, but we're sitting in the middle of a price around about £300 a tonne. So life is infinitely good. Final comment, crop 2023, we told you you need to sell it if you're buying the fertiliser or 25% of it. That still holds true. The market is under pressure on that. Not many bids in the marketplace. I see that one drifting back to probably 250 on the futures. It got as high as 290 or nearly up to 300 at one point on the NOV 23 futures. I think with what we know and the prospects of increased acreage for that harvest, I think you need to definitely make sure you put some away prices in the high 200s because it is definitely a profit for your efforts right with that i've got an anonymous ag advisor on my podcast this week it's unhealthy if people don't like to say who they are but this guy's got several outrageous opinions here and there and i thought it was worthy of a conversation albeit with him not giving his name away got to travel a bit to go and see him but well we'll see what he comes up with thank you thank you for listening please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Advertising on this podcast works. Yeargrain Central Grain Store is delighted to announce that all available storage capacity has now been sold. If you want sales and success, please contact East Coast Design Studio on 01603 728 978. Right, today I've got with me someone who emailed in and said they would like to come on the podcast but remain anonymous or at least have the chance to have the debate about one or two ideas they have about agriculture. So I think with that, I'm going to start with the question. Good morning, anonymous person. Good morning, Andrew. If you were given a farm, what would you do with it in this current climate? Oh, that's a good one. I think the first thing to think about is the business of owning land and the business of growing food are two totally different enterprises or concepts. You don't have to, just because you own a farm doesn't mean to say you have to produce food. There are plenty of other opportunities to do with it. So one extreme is developing it, putting houses on it, but of course that's not a possibility for a lot of land because it's in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. But opportunities such as solar panels and the environmental schemes. So there are many other things you can do and recent history would show us that probably growing food hasn't been the best thing to do with it. Okay, but there's a dynamic change in that right now, isn't there? There is. Uh, Suddenly, growing food looks to be a bit more useful. And I think as time goes on, that will probably continue to be the case. What are your thoughts on, you know, let's take a wealthy pop star, buys land, turns it into rewilded area to save the planet. What's your thoughts on that? I'm not sure whether they do mean well or not. I think they're making a statement. It's a little bit of a vanity project. And I think electric cars are to appease middle class consciences and their vanity, that it's virtue signaling. The electricity has to be generated somehow. Only about a third of our electricity is generated by renewables. So in the end, there's greenhouse gases galore going up in the are. air. And- yeah, of course. Where's the lithium and the cobalt coming from to make the batteries? Yeah. So the point of that is, if farming had continued down the same route it was going, there was going to be more and more bankers, pop stars, whoever, owning land, and less and less people farming. It was a car crash in terms of food supply. So maybe, you know, my thoughts, what I'm I'm getting to is, maybe this recent food hike has saved the day. At the moment, it hasn't made the government refocus. I think it will. It'll take time. 
I think once we start seeing pictures on TV of people starving, which I think will happen because there is going to be a genuine shortage of food, I think the government may start to refocus then and understand that in a country of 62 million in a maritime temperate climate and pretty good soils, the best place to produce food for that population is where that population lives. Yeah, and if they don't, all of a sudden it's relying on other countries isn't actually the brightest piece of... Well, you called the government refocusing, which means they focused in the first place. But, you know, <laughs> I get told off for government bashing. Come on to that in a minute. But, yeah, relying on other countries to supply food to us is, you know... I think that's reckless. We can't be self-sufficient in food. We can't produce enough. We can't produce all our food, but we can... You can't get your avocados. Exactly, exactly. But we should aim at producing all that we can. Food security, it's not a problem until it is a problem. Mm. And when it is a problem, it is... Too late. It's too late. It Mm. can't be solved quickly. It is a nightmare to solve. Nothing will bring a government down quicker than no food on the supermarket shelves. We saw what it was like with loo rolls a couple of years ago in the pandemic. And that was a crisis created out of nothing. There was never a shortage of loo rolls. But if there is a genuine shortage of food, any government will fall. We've seen that throughout the world. I have doubts whether anything can topple Boris following being, you know, legally charged and while in office and etc. It does terrify me. To hide the catastrophe of Brexit, we had a two-year global pandemic. To hide his partying during that, we had a war in Europe. To hide his cock-ups, we're going to follow from this. God knows what's going to happen. You'll inflame a load of people who firmly believe that Brexit was fantastic and actually all of those naysayers were wrong. There's never been a crisis and it's not had an effect whatsoever. You think that possibly Brexit wasn't quite such a success then? The starting point is it seems utter madness to walk away from the largest and most wealthy free market in the world. Right. UK exports since Brexit are down by 30%, or UK exports into Europe. And European goods come in without any check. Yeah. Because we have to do that in order to keep the prices of food down. Yes. And our stuff going the other way... Finds it if, very hard if you're to get a UK out. food producer exporting relatively small quantities into Europe, your business is dead. It has gone. Kent has become a car park. Yep, as uh, predicted. That's what they mm-hmm. expected. Yep. On the other side, is it as bad getting this way? No. No, no, straight in, straight in. We've seen how Northern Ireland, the protocol is unfolding there. It's ah, now that, that's completely whole... unsustainable. Well, what's your thoughts on that particular? I mean, now we've got America turning around and saying, sorry, if you break that protocol. Now, that must undermine Boris and Liz Truss a little after her speech this week. Oh, no, nothing sticks. He's like Teflon. Her brain is not sufficiently, it doesn't have the wit to understand criticism. You say that. I mean, the reality is it's a tough job being a politician standing up and saying something. But I must admit, when he signed the protocol he abandoned obviously Theresa May's deal which the DUP didn't like either she came up with a deal that actually did fit those various things she was kicked out because she wasn't popular enough we've ended up with Boris just going oh yes let's give it sign it sign it sign it yes we'll do all that yes of course we'll do that we're very honourable now Johnson he's an intelligent man there's no doubt about that but he is bone idle he only cares for himself And he is amoral. He has no principles whatever. He's been sacked twice for lying, and I hope he'll be sacked a third time come the next election. Well, I hope he will, although there's no telling. He's turned politics into entertainment because that's all he is. He's a second-rate scribbler, and 
game show host. And that's what he enjoys. He wants, he needs people to like him, to laugh with him. And that's all he cares about. He's got no principles at any level. So with the Northern Ireland Protocol, he either A, didn't understand it, didn't understand what he had agreed to, or he knew he was going to break the terms of it before he signed it. My view on that is he didn't care about any of that because he knew he needed to get Brexit done, quote, and that was in the way. There was no way there was an intelligent negotiation ever going to come to any form of conclusion unless somebody went, OK, fine, yeah, 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 get out of the way, yep, here you go, off you go knowing full well that two or three years down the line he could turn around and pretend the Europeans were being horrible and deliberately awkward and look at them. Oh, that's just, I'm so glad we're not in the EU because look at them being really difficult, sticking to the rules of the agreement that he'd signed. Yes, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what he's done. Turned Europe into the bogeyman for wanting to stick to the terms of agreement which he agreed, which he personally negotiated and signed it. I mean, doing all these things, once you've got Brexit, and which, you know, we haven't spoken about this for such a long time now. As I say, we've got Brexit here, you're totally convinced we are 100% better off. And there is some very blind eyes being turned to the dynamics of our trade, the dynamics of our supply chain, and the dynamics of our potential future. And certainly now that we've got to iron out this Northern Ireland thing, Liz Trust with her I'm an Iron Lady stance, we will re-legislate and we will do what we want because we are great Britain, has just been torpedoed by Nancy Pelosi. Mm. And the deal that he needs more than anything else is the American deal. I think you can forget that. We've not had a trade deal with America, and I don't think we'll ever get one. Well, not with an Irish supporting president, certainly not. No, there's no chance. I don't think that. It's a pipe dream. It'll never happen. So you think we might do a deal with Botswana or someone like that? I imagine so. That'll be valuable, won't it? Well, we've just done a deal with Rwanda to take refugees. That's fairly caring. As if that's going to detract anyone fleeing the Middle East. If you're going to risk your life going across the channel in an inflatable dinghy, you're not going to be too concerned of a, what, one in two or three hundred chance of being deported to Rwanda? Do you know what? I met a young lad who came across the sea in a boat as a young teenager the other day. He's since been adopted. It's taken several years to get to this place and he lives fairly close to me and... He's studying to be a doctor, and he's lovely, really articulate, really hardworking, really focused, charming young man. And it kind of takes away the edge of the what you see. You know, I'm incensed by boatloads of men coming over here with a view to, you know, I don't know what their view is, but it's got to be better than helping the French policemen put the boats in the water so the French policemen don't hurt their backs to get them across here. (laughs) It was a bit of a moment when it becomes an individual who you meet, it changes your view a bit. There are thousands of those in detention centres at the moment, and it's quite scary that it is a big problem we've got. Oh, it's a huge problem, there's no doubt about it. I think, look at who these people who are trying to come over or leaving their home country are. It takes a huge amount of confidence and courage to leave your home country and leave your family and leave everything you know to go to a country where you don't speak the language and you've got nothing you've got no money you've got no introductions you've got nowhere to go and you can't buy anything it takes a huge amount of courage to do that and they're generally the brighter people who do that they're young bright people the people who will be needed to put their home countries back together when peace does finally break out and they'll all be gone or they've all gone so there's going to be a power vacuum for decades Mm. well there's going to be an ongoing refugee crisis into europe anyway well as climate change bites more and more temperate countries are going to be yeah the destination of choice 
If you go back to your issue about intelligence, the people who've come from Ukraine so far largely are the brighter ones. Of course they are, because they're the only ones who've got the internet skills to find contact. And the, yes, there's that in the first place. And then there's the capacity to actually negotiate the 51-page questionnaire mm. asking them if they're yeah. terrorists or not, if they've yeah. committed war crimes. They're the finest minds that are leaving their home countries, just leaving the flotsam and jetsam behind. It's going to be a harbour for terrorist activity for years. The other proof about the, the ones that have come over so far is, you know, our Ukrainian friends, the ladies got her daughter into a good school, and which we worked hard on with on her behalf with her, and she's got a job. Instantly, she's no, not sitting there, you know, going, ah, I'm in England, I can do nothing all day long. Yeah, she she needs the... a job, she needs the money, and she needed to do something to kind of have self-worth. It's that self-determination And, and that's what 99% of them want, but the Daily Mail will have a headline in the next few months yeah. that a Ukrainian has had a hip replacement done on the NHS. Well, she'll do well uh, to get one of those done the next one, few months, mate. Uh, and they've got it done quicker than somebody who's been on a yeah. waiting list in the UK for five years or what, two years, whatever. And there will be a Daily Mail moral outrage because this Ukrainian has slipstreamed other people on the waiting list and this is what happens it's nothing more than health tourism they're health migrants or nhs migrants willingly ignoring the fact that the chances are the doctor and the nurses and the cleaners in the hospital weren't natives either well there is a supply of ready-made labor in detention centers and coming in from the ukraine who will do a fantastic job in lots of these places mm. as long as we can easily get them into that process it isn't as easy as you think deliberately made difficult mm. as i say i get a fair bit of criticism about i'm apparently biased in my views and i don't sing the praises of the uk you know we couldn't have this conversation without freedom of speech and bluntly absolutely i'm delighted that i'm able to do this podcast because we're not arrested for having a thought but you know and we've largely got a non-corrupt police force and you know they're very focused on speeding fines at the moment which is delightful easy crime to solve <laughs> yeah, let's, yes. let's get the middle class where we're, yeah, where, or let's hit rural people harder and make sure that yeah. city boys don't get it but get back to the government boris and his crew what is the end game of what happens I mean, he's quite happy to throw military aid to ukraine on the basis of i don't care if i can do that i'll become popular and i'll stay in power which has worked look yeah. at boris he's leading look at that old german guy he's rubbish but the point is old vlad's going now which country shall I bomb? He doesn't mm. care, does he? No, he doesn't care at all. No, he's utterly indifferent. Brilliant. What I do? I know. If, I, if I give him arms, I'll stay in power. Yeah, but you'll get nuked. Oh, no, I'll be in a bunker. Don't worry. We're assuming that this isn't going to go beyond its current boundaries. We're assuming that the missiles are going to continue to uh, land in Ukraine. Has it got scope to go further? Yeah. Yes, I think it probably has. Will it? We hope not. We hope not. We've got to teach Vlad a lesson, or the West has, not us, not the UK, the West has got to retain its resolve and teach anybody else who's considering it. I mean, obviously, China are watching this extremely closely. Well, I'll be listening, See how, yeah, I'll be listening to this podcast, I'll tell you. Now, if we're on the BBC now, and you were Joe Biden, you just said we've got to give Vlad a lesson, we can say that. If we were in a position of power, we couldn't say that because you have to be much more clever. Absolutely. You know, a, a politician is someone who makes you feel happy to go to hell, having described the journey. You know, you're off to hell and <laughs> yeah. you feel happy with it. So a proper politician can somehow say those bad things without... But 
yeah, there is no lesson other than in the end there's going to be greater conflict. There's got to be greater conflict. It, it's going to finish in greater conflict than it is. I, I'm beginning to get a little concerned about the increased awareness of food supplies, and I'm wondering if that's going to be an opportunity for the West or the West are going to appease Vlad to try and improve food supplies and let him get away with it. Well, he's going to get or he's got away with it if he stops crushing the rest of the country. If Ukraine's prepared to give him bucket loads of their land, then he's going to be reasonably, I've won. In the longer term, looking at Russian history, he'll be back to take the rest of the country. He'll be back, won't he? That's what's going to happen. And China is going to go into Taiwan. You can see that happening. They haven't condemned him, although they haven't condoned it. But they're watching closely to see how this unfolds. We actually predicted him going into the Ukraine, thinking he'd stop in Luhansk and Donetsk, and we didn't anticipate him. So we can have these wild opinions, and sometimes we're no doubt wrong, but I just can't remember ever being wrong on the podcast. I don't think I've ever made a mistake, no. (laughs) No. But no, but the point is that Biden is about to go and visit Japan and South Mm -hmm. Korea. Yep. And he's going to stand on a podium and forget his lines and say something terrible about China. And then they're going to go, right, you know what, Joe, I'm going into Taiwan. I predict a Taiwan invasion. That's my next one. I imagine Joe's script, there'll be someone behind him making sure he does not go off script at any point and that he will have rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it and there will not be many words. Okay, well, one would hope so. But, I mean, what would that mean to food prices? Would that be another hike? I suppose it would, wouldn't it? I can't see how it would go the other way. Well, China a net importer. You could starve them, then Vlad could supply them. Well, that's what's going to happen, isn't it? The West will become more energy independent, and we possibly can do without Vlad's gas and oil. But Vlad will continue to sell it, so he'll just build a pipeline going the other direction. China is our biggest threat. It's a bigger threat than Vlad is. They don't have to worry about incidental little things like elections. They can have a 30-year plan, 40-year plan, 50-year plan, and stick to it because they know they're going to be in power. And they have got global ambitions, although whilst I won't have to worry about it, and I doubt my children will. At some point, China will be calling all the shots, and we have funded it. The locals will be going to an English takeaway in an English town run by China. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the West does need to start focusing on bringing manufacturing back to the West. To use the argument, well, labour is too expensive. Labour is now such a small element, a small part of the cost of manufacturing, because so much of it is automated. It doesn't really matter It's another good way for the West to improve, in inverted commas, its environmental records. We're not polluting anymore. No, we've just exported it. Well, the pollution is still being had. Same as electric cars. And, yeah, it's coming from oil. It's coming, Hmm. you know, and as you said, lithium, etc., etc. Yeah, it's all delusion, isn't it? It is. COP26. Cop out 26. Yes, cop out 26. It, it suits the politicians to do nothing. Someone comes up with Especially an electric now. car, oh, this is going to save the world, we'll do that. Or they come up with eco-tourism, eco-flying. Really? <laughs> Sustainable is a word that's been cheapened so much, it's utterly, utterly meaningless. If you pass this money, £10 a month, £10.70 a month or something, then we'll plant five trees in a forest and your employee will be saving the planet and you'll be carbon neutral. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I'll put my dog on a vegetarian diet, and that justifies my three long-haul holidays every year. Ah, now, holidays. Now, there's a really? subject. So we've got a food crisis. We've got people mm-hmm. on television, and they're starving. Yep. And we have holiday businesses booming. Well, 
Ryanair's bookings are now higher than they were pre-pandemic. So right. here we are, endlessly being told there is a cost of living crisis. Yeah. Nobody can afford to buy food. Nobody can afford to heat their homes. Yet more of us are travelling overseas for holidays. So is it just the poor people left behind, do you think? I suspect, yes. This is a very dodgy piece of ground, isn't it? There are people at the bottom of the heap who are really going to suffer. There is no question about it. Suffering. Or they are suffering and it's going to get a lot worse. There is absolutely no question. But there must be a load of people in the mid-range there who, with their Sky Package and their holiday to wherever it is they're flying to, Tenerife or Benidorm or whatever, who are going to be on telly saying how poor they are at some Mm -hmm. point as well. You're allowed to research each individual and say, oh, I believe you've got an holiday this year. Don't take away my holiday. It's a question of expectation, isn't it? And our entitlement. We believe we're entitled to our two weeks in Spain. We believe we're entitled to walk around in our houses in the wintertime in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt and have heating turned up to 22 degrees. We believe we're entitled to have a new car every three years. You aren't going to be able to take that away from people in in a thrice or re-educate them in a hurry unless you have a very sharp, hard shock. That's absolutely right. We need a real sharp, hard shot to a reality check that sets a new norm. We Got thought that the pandemic may provide that, but it seems not. We've no, drifted that was, back that was to where a, we, we were. We all realise we're mortal and maybe we were nice to each other a little bit. But in the Ukraine, there's, you know, in Lviv, there's a lot of people who are now giving up their spare rooms to people that, you know, the population of three quarters of a million swells to over a million and people are absorbing. You can't get apartments, but there's restaurants giving away free food for people who are trying to you know survive or who've run away from did some pretty horrendous things and in that society there's a much much more energetic can-do non-bureaucratic environment where businesses are trying to run with yeah let's get on with it let's try and make this happen so what would it take to get the UK into that mindset and go, do you know what? I will put on my jumper. I won't have the heating on until such and such a time. I don't need a sky package. You know, what would it take? I can't imagine what it would take. It's got to be a war. It, it? Yeah, that is the only thing it would take. It is something absolutely apocalyptic. Which we don't really want. Do which we? we don't really want. So we've sure. got to try and wean people off this lifestyle. So human nature is fundamentally selfish. Yeah, that's what we're all like. Yeah, we are all fundamentally, most of us are fundamentally lazy and greedy. And isn't it terrible, but I'm not really suffering myself, but don't tell anyone. Yeah, absolutely. There's somebody else willing to make the cake, so that saves me having to do it. There's eight of us and there's nine slices. No one's looking. I'll have the other one. So let's bring it back to agriculture. You know, within that, agricultural people living on farms, people within the sector are largely protected. If there was a food crisis, actually, there wouldn't be a food crisis because that's where the food comes from. Yeah. By definition, it would make them into a very powerful position. Could the current farming mentality take advantage of that? I think we would struggle, actually. Very, very few farmers produce something they can eat. They are primary producers. They produce the raw product, which then goes on to be processed. And I'm not sure how we could individually or even as farmers as primary producers could actually capitalize does not the demand the fundamental demand for food which is the most emotive subject create the situation where you turn around to the supermarket who's paying you 20 pence loss per dozen on eggs and say no eggs for you pal I think that will come. Now, yes. so eggs are simple. So farmers... Egg, yeah, because you can eat then find egg. egg a, is a final product. A yeah. direct marketing place for eggs to go, or the supermarket sings your tune. Right, that's just step one. But then you would be held down on anything that's then 
you know, the value-added aspect of saying turning it into a biscuit means a miller, means a baker, means a distribution system. Yep. So if you could somehow, you know, get a slice of that or be able to barter a much better base for the beginning place, yes, food would be more expensive, but you'd be getting your fair return for it because you are all of a sudden in a position of power. This is my yep. argument. I think farmers are coming to a position of power and the NFU are used to being in the end, oh, God, well, how can we get around this? And the government's really keen on low food prices and they've got the supermarkets and the government in cahoots to be, let's keep this down, boys. We'll let you have as many planning permissions as you like. Just we'll look after you. Keep donating Mm -hmm. to the Conservative Party or the Labour Mm -hmm. Party or whoever you do. And it'll all be all right. The point being, I think farmers in the revolution period that we're coming towards, 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, maybe more, is, I think, much stronger position than they ever dreamt they'd be in. I'd agree with you there. I've said for the past 30 years, the business of growing food will be all right. Mm. There'll be bumps in the road, and I don't know what will make it all right, but it will be all right. It could just simply be there's so many of us that we need feeding. It could be that the land that we can grow food on is getting smaller, and there's less supply, or it could be war. Mm. But we are coming to a point now where business of growing food is going to be all right. Yeah, and it's really making sure that there's a healthier aspect of control yes or healthier aspect of the, the problem is i'd like to think you're right but governments convert to type they know that cheap food prices will win them votes i'm like, sure you remember the lasagna which was found to have horse meat in it from <laughs> i don't know probably 10 years ago it was a meal for two and it was 59 pence what do you expect for 59 pence really <laughs> And of course, if it said meat lasagna rather than beef lasagna, there wouldn't have been a problem. And everyone would have been perfectly happy to eat it. It probably, it probably tastes better than the lasagnas I try and cook. But, <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That is that. But then that, the hidden reality of that is still within that supermarket labelling, you know, food, what it says EU produced, you know, the dynamic of cheap food coming across from Europe is in the end going to be... They'll need their own food. Well, they'll need their own food. This is only temporary. It's only borrowed because they've got exactly the same problems as we have. Mm. And it will go up. We will start to pay a fair price for food and food will become a bigger part of our expenditure. We're going to have to start to pay the true cost of everything we consume if we are going to be serious about doing anything about the climate change and environment and use yeah. of our resources everything is have to go up to reflect the true cost yeah and it's we, not going to be a pretend just... british airways have just bought a tree no so they can fly to madrid for 500 people that tree doesn't qualify the amount of that yeah. really is nowhere near the dynamic of how much effort and oil and energy has been made just to put that fuel in the in the uh, absolutely one trip a one-way trip from London to New York, one tree needs to be planted for every passenger. So it takes 60 years for that tree to absorb the carbon dioxide for, that for one seat. Yeah, so you've got these flights logged to go across and you have to keep to your slot, otherwise you lose it. And all of the aeroplanes have been flying with half full, you know, for all yeah. the way through. You know, governments, COP26, you know, the actual cohesion of everyone working together with each other. Delta, British Airways, Virgin saying, OK, let's have one flight and you do that one and I'll do the next one. And it isn't going to happen. Therefore, is it too late? I don't know. Is it too late? It's not for me. I'm 60. It's not for me either. Whether you believe climate change is man-made or not is actually irrelevant. The resources we have will run out. 
they are finite and they will become more and more expensive to dig up. Surely we have a responsibility to our children and as yet unborn grandchildren to allow them to have the same privilege that we've had. Can you imagine saying to your grandchild, and he gets his mobile phone out of his pocket, and he says, huh, that's not a very good one, is it? In our day, we had red on the screens. We didn't just have to only deal with blue and green. We could have all sorts of colours. Can't do that now. Well, why is that, Grandad? Oh, because all the stuff that the red came from, that's all gone. We've used it all up. Well, what did you do with it? Well, we left it on our phones. Well, where are they? Well, they've gone in landfill. <laughs> we have a social responsibility to be better than we are. But we won't be. But we won't. I mean, <laughs> are, we, are need, we need big carrots and sticks to make us better. Yeah, in the end, we do. But it's in no government's interest to introduce either the carrot or the stick. It's do it piecemeal, just to appease the bulk of the population. So those who are genuinely concerned and want to make a difference, it's just enough to say, well, all right, it's better than nothing. Most people just don't care. Absolutely. So let's go back to the very starting point of the podcast. If you were given a farm, would you do, with a view to meeting food requirement, you know, if you have to invest for a 20, 30-year kind of plan, what would you do? The good land that is capable of producing crops... I would work as hard as I could, get everything out of it, get as many tonnes per acre off that as I could. Mm -hmm. The bits that aren't so good, the fiddly bits in the corners, which are difficult to cultivate, the stony bits, the wet bits, put them into an environmental scheme. Mm -hmm. Leave them alone, let the environment get on with that. And there is a lot of marginal land in the country which isn't hardly worth farming. Mm. But make the good land work hard. This would be in a new modern soil friendly environment you're not just going to like do the old spray can whip it whip it oh dear it's dead sustainable farming yeah i love that regenerative farming which is sustainable is wholly dependent upon roundup there's a little bit of a contradiction there somehow well or another spray because that's wholly dependent on herbicide a multi-spectrum herbicide yeah wholly dependent upon it i'm not sure that a system that is so dependent on herbicide should have the title of sustainable yes less tillage certainly because you burn less diesel if it does hold carbon then that's and the roots in the ground actually you know helping moisture get absorbed and the dynamic of the rhizome the fungal growth stuff uh, mitochondria yeah absolutely yeah yeah absolutely we've got to do better than we are but you're right about the chemical. It seems well, if you, completely if you just, contradictory. If you listen to one of the podcasts I did with a, with a guy called Murray Ferguson, he talked about fantastic crops of wild oats he used to grow out on the coast. And as a recording, my dad did many moons ago for a Norfolk archive thing, and he talked about magnificent crops of thistles that his mm. father used to grow pre-chemicals. Yep. And the efforts they'd make to try and keep them suppressed. He said it was, in the end, when spray came along, it was a complete and absolute wonder moment. But it's going to only be a blink of an eye time, isn't it? And it will be. So that's a very good question. Is it the blink of an eye? Are they going to be gone again in the next few years? So will we have crowds of thistles and wild oats, which of course will suppress yields, so you're not getting the potential out of that land? Could we spray smarter? So you photograph the land as you approach it, as the sprayer goes along, there's a weed there, turn it on, so it's really targeted. Some of the robotic things do Robotic spray, that's the way forward, rather than ban it. Hmm. Otherwise, you then need all the poor land to get enough food. 
which is actually worse for the environment. Yeah, okay. I think I'm going to wrap up this podcast at this point. So, Mr. Anonymous Agronomic Advisor, I think people are going to be asleep by the time we finish listening to all of this. I'm sure they will. Thank you so much. And I've enjoyed the journey across here to see you. And yeah, thank you for being so open and having a conversation to that effect. And thank you for allowing me to stand on the soapbox. My pleasure. Now, thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.